Hello, everyone, and welcome to the premiere season of Novel. This is your host, Caleb Linville. I am very, very excited to be presenting to you today the fantastic story, When the Mountains Called. It's going to be a crazy journey. Before we get started, some quick notes. So this podcast is going to be a weekly podcast with a new episode coming out every Monday. And some of the episodes are going to be story episodes. And then other episodes are going to be commentary episodes where we discuss things mentioned in the story and try to go a little bit deeper into the concepts which the story brings to the surface. But first, before we get into the story, a few quick messages. Novel is always looking for new, exciting, and thought-provoking stories to present on our podcast. If you have a story or a story idea that you would like to share with us for consideration for future seasons, please contact Novel at clinville at novelpodcast.net. That's C-L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E at novelpodcast.net. Or you can visit our website, novelpodcast.net, for more information. If you're listening to Novel, then I assume one reason is because you like stories. I mean, who doesn't like a good story? And the stories Novel produces have quite a few bizarre, otherworldly, and thought-provoking sections as you might expect from fiction. The podcast I want to tell you about today, however, has all of these elements with one crucial difference. All the stories you hear are, in fact, true. The podcast is called the Adventure Sports Podcast, and the host, Mason, interviews extreme outdoor athletes from all over the world. When you listen to the Adventure Sports Podcast, you'll hear people recount stories of traveling around the world on a bike or climbing the Seven Summits or sailing around and through much of North America on a boat which fits in the back of a pickup truck. Seriously, some of the stories truly are otherworldly. When the mountains first called to him, he was in the valley, and more importantly, he was alive. It had been sunset. The horizon was golden, like the dried turnips he'd shelved earlier that day. The dulling sun, pink and glow, a cupped egg cradled by the hands of a darkening sky on either side. In the field where he stood, the grass blew against his ankles, scraping the bottoms of the tattering corduroy pants he'd always worn because they were simple and good and all he'd known. All he'd known, all he'd known, like the path he'd walked from his small cabin this night as he had every other night to stand at the lowest part of the valley but never beyond. Like the rolling hills that rippled beyond the crumbling wooden fence he had put up years before, not so much to keep others out as to keep himself in. Because this path, these hills, this cabin, was simple and good. Simple and good and all he'd known. Comfortable. How comfortable to be alone. How comfortable like the sun, like that cradled egg, cupped and held and carried always by the routine-ridden sky around it. How comfortable, comfortable only when he thought about it, 
only itchy when he noticed it, like the corduroy pants whose scratchy interiors had at first rubbed his calves raw by overuse, but had since become commonplace and warm. Now it itched to take them off. So he didn't. When the mountains first called to him, it was nothing he had known, and for that reason he'd ignored them. He ignored their soft whispers that rode on the wind, the ones that ruffled the grasses so that his corduroy pants moved and itched his legs again for the first time in twenty-five years. He'd ignored the new smell that wafted on the breeze, something like goldenrod, or maybe the gold of the sun itself, the one he stared at, willing his nostrils to close against the whisk of the wind. He'd stared at the lowest point of the valley, that outlined the base of the solid mountains rising above, the ones whose purple rock he ignored. So fixated was he on the running groove of the valley and the comfortable boundary it created. Comfortable. How comfortable to maintain that barrier between valley and mountain, between river and hill, between what was good and simple and what was harsh and complicated, between the certainty of life and the only thing he could see in the rare moments he chose to look at, the deepening jagged mountains that stabbed his soft pink sky, the fragility of death. This was here, his field, his house, his self-sustaining way of life that called for no one and nothing else as long as they both should live. And that was beyond, the place past the hills and the river, the mountains and whatever lie within them. When the mountains first called to him, he was in the valley, and he was alive. He did not pay them attention, but that did not mean he did not hear, as much as he tried to. Come, come, they said, but he would not. He would not because he had no need to. He was comfortable, and it would be great risk to leave. Great risk, and for what reward? What did the mountains have that he did not? There. In the spreading twilight alive, he closed his eyes and crouched down to the still rustling trousers against the dampening grass, pressing his ears to drown out the beckoning wind. Above him, the hands of the sky released the egg they held until it sunk lower and lower, finally cracking against the horizon, spilling its dull light so thin against the earth that its glow was soon swallowed up and he was left in the dark and the still of the night. Quiet. Quiet, simple and quiet, and all he'd known. The next time the mountains called to him, he was no longer in the valley, and he was dead. He didn't know he was dead at first, but he figured it out soon enough, when he couldn't get back to the house and the cellar that had been his whole life. He tried to get back, 
to cross that falling down fence and return to the blowing grasses that felt different than the ones by the river because they were his. But he couldn't. Something prevented him. He willed every muscle in his body to propel his leg forward over the lowest, most crumbled part of the fence and into the field where the two dappled horses, the ones that Pearl kept, used to graze. But he couldn't move. He couldn't lift even a foot past the fence. It was as if an invisible wall extended from the rotting posts straight upward to the sky, around the entire perimeter of his property, where the fence ran. A fact he found out as he jogged the boundary, stopping every few yards to try to cross. But each time he tried, his legs felt heavy, as if they had been wrapped in taffy, and he would put them back down, feel the taffy loosen, and run again. exhausted by the time he reached that first part of the fence again, the one that earlier he'd crossed so easily to get where he was now trapped. His breath came out in short strangled gasps, deafeningly loud in the now windless air. He could feel the mallet of his heart in his chest, straining partly from fatigue and partly from terror. Only one time before had he felt this way, equal parts tired and terrified, but he didn't want to think about that now. Now he had nothing left to do but sit and, oh no, none of that, that would get nowhere. He would only wait. Wait for the normalcy to return. Because in the last 25 years he had found normalcy. Or normalcy had found him, saved him, and it would save him again. He just had to wait. So he sat down, just outside the fence, a quarter mile from his small house, and waited. Waited for that thing that had saved him before to come again. It would. It had to. If it didn't, he didn't know what he would do. But eventually, he didn't know how long, something else came. A sound. That sound. Come, it said. Come. It was gentle, but it was insistent. And his tired, terrified heart tugged towards the distant snow-covered peaks. No. He whispered to himself, No. It had been twenty-five years since he had journeyed from the town he and Pearl had lived in, the one just twenty miles away, now also forbidden by the invisible barrier that separated him from his house, the house that for thirty years had been their little ranch cabin, but had since become his permanent refuge. Away from the town, away from the memories of her and the life they had, away from those disappeared evening walks and porch-side dinners and slow mornings with coffee and the paper and Pearl humming as she baked. Just away, and that became comfortable. Just far enough and no further, far enough to not be within the sight of the town, yet near enough to be in some way tethered to her. It was still painful, and maybe always would be painful, he realized. But at some point, he had gotten used to the pain. Just like he had gotten used to the corduroy pants that tickled his ankles in the foreign breeze. When Pearl died, a part of him had died with her. But he had accepted that. 
he'd become okay with that, saved by the comfort of the little ranch cabin. He sold the horses immediately, they reminded him too much of Pearl. But he had kept the cabin and the fields and the gardens they had tended as a team, because giving those up felt too much like betrayal, a gut-wrenching disposal of the last thing they had built together. But the half-tired, half-terrified feeling was back, acid pumping in his heart, and with a weathered hand to his chest he closed his eyes. The feeling he had had 25 years ago, sharp at first, but that had over time dulled to nothingness, was back. It was back and it was strong, and he couldn't return to the house. That and the mountains were calling. The mountains were calling and he could not go home. Life had been quiet and comfortable. And this, therefore, this new thing could not be life. For all intents and purposes, he was dead, and the mountains still called. this segment of our story. Please consider liking, subscribing, and reviewing the show to help the show grow, and also so that you don't miss out on the newest episodes. Thanks. This episode was read by Jonathan Keener, written by Shannon Baker, with hosting, production, and original music by Caleb Linville.